I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant at Boldside, where I help develop epic leaders and standout teams. Today on the show, I'm joined by Maz Farrelly. And if you've watched it, Maz probably made it. X Factor, Celebrity Apprentice, the NRL Rookie, Farmer Wants a Wife, Dancing with the Stars. Seriously, the list is endless. Maz has been helping people tell their stories and stand out all through her career. And today on the show, she talks about how you can stand out in your career and how you can make people more interested in you. Seriously, I'm not going to give too much away because this is just a wild episode. You're going to love it. Buckle up. Hi, Maz. How are you, my darling? I'm pumped. I was a bit nervous this morning, like coming into this conversation because I've heard so much about you and just the excitement level's really high over here. Uh, That is really kind of you. Uh, So my mother's obviously been calling you. I apologise. I am very excited to be on this because obviously I know it's hard to believe because you're looking at me and um, I have had a lot of Botox and filler, uh, but I'm not actually a millennial, which is astounding, isn't it? When you look at me, you think you must be, darling, but I'm not. But let me tell you, I am so excited about millennials. I love you because I feel like my generation, we did what we thought we ought to do, which was, you know, be driven and greedy. And, you know, it was live like living in Wall Street. And when I look at you, I think the world is fine and I don't need to worry about the world because you're ethical, you're driven, you're kind, you're just lovely people. You are the people we wanted to be, but I don't know how it didn't happen. I don't think we were allowed to be. I don't think we were allowed to be like you. So I feel very, I feel very happy about the world. I'm not worried about it. I used to worry. Now I've taken that off my to worry list. That is so good because our to worry list can be awfully long sometimes. I know. Let me tell you. So the first piece of advice I would give everyone is when I, when I do talks, I have these little cards and they call them Maz Farks, F-A-R-K-S. And I want you to hold on to these cards 12 or 14 or however many you need. And every time you want to give a fark about something, you use one of the cards. But you only have a certain number for the year. So I used to fight everyone about everything. And someone said to me one day, uh, which is one of those really obvious things, choose your battles. Because you fight everyone, it must be exhausting. Don't you know, you're right, it is. So I was like, you know, I can't let that happen. And these people need to, you know, all of this stuff. And... I thought, just choose the ones that really matter. So if you think about having 12 farks over the next year, use them wisely. Don't fight everyone. Don't care about everything. Just care about the stuff that's important. And the number one thing to care about is you, obviously, but often we forget. Maz, that's such an interesting point of you could only really have 12 farks that you can care about. Yeah. Like, you, you don't have this endless supply of care factor to give to everything. One of the things that I, like I'm a recovering perfectionist, so I've often had to say to myself over and over, I can care less without being careless. Like I can care less about stuff. Yeah, I read Cheryl Sandberg's book and I don't remember much of it, but I do remember she said this one line that stuck with me. Done is better than perfect. And I'm like you, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to do it 100%. And then I realised you can't do that about everything because there's just not enough time in the day. Some stuff, see previous, am I going to really give a fuck about that one? If I don't, then I won't. But the ones that really matter, you know, I will. So I think you're absolutely right that, you know, being a recovering perfectionist is really hard because your instinct is to care about absolutely everything. And obviously you're brilliant, otherwise you wouldn't have this podcast. So being a perfectionist is wonderful, but for some things you've got to think on a higher level and think, I just need to do this. This doesn't need to be perfect, 
That does, because that's going to earn me a dollar or a promotion, but this one doesn't. And see previous, choose your battles, choose your farks. So what do you really care about? Like for you, if you've got those 12 cards, what's on some of those cards that you're like, this is a non-negotiable for me. I deeply care about this thing. If anyone is listening to me at any point on a podcast, on TV, in you know, a meeting, you know, a thousand people in an auditorium, it has to be 100% brilliant. I will not compromise on that. So I think about what I'm going to say. I change it for every room I walk into. You never hear the same thing twice. Uh, I make an effort in how I look. I get there early. I'm prepared. Uh, because you can have everything, but you can't have more time. And if you're giving me your time and your attention, because you only have one attention, you don't have four of them, you have one attention. If you're going to give me an hour of your time, I have to use it very wisely. I have to make sure that when you walk away, you've had real value. That A, you might have had a laugh on a good day. I can be a tiny bit funny, but only on a good day. And <laughs> you've got to walk away thinking, I learned something that will add value to my life. And because I'm an ex-producer, I don't produce stuff anymore, but in my soul, I produce everything. Uh, I can't let that go. That's one of my absolute non-negotiables. It is a non-negotiable that everyone leaves the room thinking that was fun, I learned a lot, and that the people who booked me said she was a joy to work with. Those are my non-negotiables. Yeah, she was absolutely 100% brilliant, which is so funny because that's your brand. Like when I talk to people about you, that's what they say. Like I had a conversation about you with a friend of mine, Shane, who was like, she is brilliant. You have to talk to her. And I think that's when you know your brand is working for you because people are talking about you in the way you would describe yourself. Do you know what's interesting? I was at a conference. I was speaking after Shane, uh, Shane Hatton, for anyone who doesn't know. He's brilliant. And what I really like if I'm at a conference, I like the person before me to not be very good because then I look great. <laughs> and I was watching him and thinking, I am in serious trouble. This guy is really funny, really clever. Uh, there are a million takeouts. He's really interactive for the audience. I forgot that I was on next. I watched him for way too long. And I think the people who were micing me up came out like, you know, he's supposed to be in here being mic'd up. He's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think... Um, you know, and I say that as a producer, not as another speaker, but as a producer. I watched him and I thought, I don't know that I'd have any notes for you. And I have notes for everyone on everything because I've produced, you know, an enormous number of content. My uh, content's been watched, I think, eight billion times. So a lot of times someone has engaged with my content. So um, it's really brilliant to hear that. But for everyone who is listening, know your brand. Who are you? What do you stand for? And... If there is, I say to people, if there is a discussion about the industry, your name should come up in that conversation. It's very important that it does. So you need to know your brand, why you are different to everyone else in the marketplace, why you're a specialist, why I should listen to you, why I should book you, why I should invite you to a meeting, why should I take your pitch, why should I give you a promotion, more money. And it's all down to you to tell me. It's not my job to do any of that. It's your job. So how do we become known in our industry for something like you talk a lot about this idea of being this attention grabbing brand how do we how do we build that so there are two things one you lose one you add so lose white noise so i want you shelly to go on to linkedin today and do linkedin roulette just scoop through your friends and there will be one stroke 99 of them who will say I'm a passionate insert job marketing person accountant lawyer with 15 years experience working for the biggest brands in the world and then there'll be some other things that say game changer pivot unprecedented people person uh, and it's all white noise people say the same stuff all the time it's impossible to describe you if you say that if you are vanilla and someone said I've never had vanilla. What's it taste like? You would say, it tastes like nothing. Just, it is a flavour, but it doesn't really have, a, it's a bit sweet. And they go, well, like a strawberry. And you go, no, not like a strawberry. Now, what you don't want to be, well, you can be whatever you want, of course. You can be whatever you want. If you want to climb the ladder and you want to, you know, kick some butt in your industry, you need the opposite of white noise, which is sticky information. What? is sticky. When you tell me about you 
and then you leave the room, what do I remember? What has stuck in my beautiful 25-year-old looking head? What has stuck in there? What's <laughs> staying? Because if it's not staying, it's white noise. And it means that if someone says, you know, uh, I'm looking for someone who's great in the podcast uh, to MC an event, uh, someone who's young, knows about millennials, knows about, you know, money, knows about careers, someone who's smart, I'm instantly going to think of you because you're sticky. You're interesting. If you're not, like I did meet someone, I think they did, I think, I'm not sure, I think, yeah, I think that was their thing. I met someone at the Terry White Came Out conference uh, who does men's health. What would you say is a brilliant one line for someone who does men's health? All sorts of, you know, uh, anything to do with your bits, he looks after. What do you think would be a brilliant one line? Because this guy said it and I wanted to go and stroke him to sleep every night. I wanted to rub his feet and make him tea and give him biscuits. It was just so brilliant. <laughs> oh, men's health. It'd have to be something to do with penises. Yeah. Three words. He said, I fix dicks. <laughs> Utterly brilliant. <laughs> now, I was on Mark Boris's podcast this week and I talked about him. I did a conference this week. I talked about him. I'm now talking about him to you. Those three words that are beautifully thought through. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you're an accountant, you say the same thing. But how can you, you know, how can you tell your story in a way that's different? I do a lot of work with lawyers. I don't know why, but lawyers book me a lot. And I did some work with a very senior woman. And her one-liner, when uh, we worked on it, was, I keep very senior CEOs out of jail. Brilliant. Now, the words that need to come out of your audience's mouth, whether the audience is the board, your colleagues, your team, someone you're going in for a pitch with, a venture capitalist, whoever it is, they need to say these two words. That's interesting. Now, if they do, that's the start of a business. If they don't, it's the end of a business. It has to be interesting. My motto in life that I try to live by is it is not my job to be interested. It is your job to be interesting. And when you know that, I really think your life changes. I think you approach everything you do and everything you write and everything you post and everything you say and every pitch, every meeting, everything you do differently. Because you know, if you speak in white noise, it's dull. And dull costs money. Oh, uh. Yeah, wow. Just Should we go and lie down now? Shall we stop and have a cup of tea? <laughs> we, we should. I feel like it's like we could have a cocktail right now because I am like just soaking all this up and it's like nine in the morning. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's not my job to be interested. It's your job to be interesting. Maz, how do we become interesting? And a follow-up, is everyone interesting? Yes, Categorically, yes. But I find that the smartest people I work with describe themselves in a really dull way. And it happens 100% of the time. It genuinely all the time. So we'll go through it now. So everyone grab uh, your phone or your iPad or whatever, uh, some parchment, a pen and some paper, God forbid. <laughs> uh, and tell me why you are different. Why are you different to everyone else in the marketplace? Now, when I go out and I speak, I can say to people, you know, I've worked in the media uh, and, you know, I've had a really varied career and uh, I've run big teams and, uh, you know, I really love my job and now I'm a speaker, which is complete white noise. But I say to the crowd, has anyone ever seen Absolutely Fabulous? And some hands will go up and I say that was based on my agent. So I left school, I went to fashion and journalism college, and then I became a stylist. And the woman who owned the agency, Lynn Franks, I worked for a brilliant woman called Anne Drummond, and uh, she, Lynn Franks was our agent. So this is how we lived. We went to showbiz parties with supermodels all the time. Didn't know that anyone else didn't. I got free clothes from everybody. I didn't know other people didn't. Uh, I traveled first class. I stayed in amazing hotels and I was surrounded by beautiful people all the time. And because I hadn't worked down a mine or in a care home, I'd just come from college or school, convent school to college to, you know, this job. I didn't know that was odd. I thought that every job was like this. 
genuinely no idea until I worked in telly and then uh, so this is for Australia I made five series Big Brother back in the day when it was very controversial and it was absolutely revolutionary in television absolutely it was revolutionary uh, The X Factor Fun What's Wife Celebrity Apprentice Dancing with the Stars but I also helped create Q&A for the ABC so Big Brother and Q&A a very odd mix now I draw on all of that experience of working at the cutting edge, the brutal pointy end of the media, and I help people be interesting. I help them find their X factor. Now, the first version, I can't even remember what I said because it was so dull. The <laughs> second one, you'll remember a little bit. You might remember Absolutely Fabulous. You might remember Naomi Campbell did her first job with me. You might remember that I travelled first class around the world. You might remember that I did the X factor or the Celebrity Apprentice or Q&A, but you remember something. When we speak in white noise, nobody can remember us and they have to. So think about sticky information. Second thing to do, I call it a white coat. Why are you a specialist? So when I say to people, uh, I am a storyteller of Olympic standards, like I'm in the Olympics of storytelling. My shows are the number one shows in the world. They're the biggest brands. When I tell you that, it makes you feel safe. When I say eight billion times my content's been watched and I once broke Twitter deliberately, I set out to break it and created so much traffic that we broke it, Twitter Periscope, when they launched it. It makes you feel very confident. You think not only is she extraordinarily attractive, wonderful to look at, but also she's quite smart and I'll listen to her. So why... Are you different? What is different about you? If you can apply that to someone else, it's not different. So if you say I'm a people person, I love my job, I'm passionate about it, I am authentic, I help people, it's a game changer. No, because I can take those words and apply them to a million other people. Give me specifics, give me the outcome. So where did you start? Where did it end? So what is different about you? Why should I trust you? What's your white coat? So tell me everything that's going to make me feel very secure giving you that gig. Then the next thing to do is think about your audience. Who's your audience? Know them inside out. So the first question I asked you this morning was, uh, who's your audience? Because I think about the audience and I think, uh, well, all I do is think about the audience. So when people say to me, how can you make Big Brother and Q&A? I say, because I'm thinking about you, I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about the audience. So when I walk into a room of CEOs and I do a lot of work with uh, very big companies and big time CEOs, uh, I don't tell them about the 8 billion views because I don't care. But I'll say, so networks will give me 30 million bucks. And in nine months, I'll turn that into about 200 million in sponsorship and revenue and advertising. And, you know, um, do you get that return? Probably not. And I'll say, so stand up, sit down if you've never heard of Big Brother, sit down if you've never heard of Dancing with the Stars, sit down if you've never heard of The X Factor, sit down if you've never heard of... They're all standing, of course. And then, because I'm me, I say, but I might not have heard of your company, but you've heard of mine. And I know you're looking at me and thinking, what's that gorgeous creature going to tell me I don't know? <laughs> but actually, I don't know your company. I don't know your projects, but you know every single one of mine. And now we'll start. So it's positioning. How do you position yourself? So know your audience, position yourself in a way that is appropriate to your audience. So in casting, people would come in. My favourite one on Big Brother uh, it was a girl called Geneva. And I said, tell me where you're different. Don't tell me you're the life and soul of the party. You're a real people person. Really want to win this. Going to give it 110%. Don't tell me all of that. It's white noise. Tell me where you're different. This would be 20 years ago. She said, basically, I am a lesbian, but I can't seem to give up cock. I went, sorry, what did you say? And she said, yeah, basically, <laughs> I'm a lesbian, but I just can't seem to, I just can't stop sleeping with men. And she said, my girlfriend says I'm a really bad lesbian. And when we described her, we would describe her as the bad lesbian. Geneva, the bad <laughs> lesbian. What is your point of difference? What's your one line? that I'm going to remember, I fix sticks. I keep senior CEOs out of jail. What are they going to repeat about you so that you are memorable? 
think about it. Think about how you look, because that's the first thing I notice about you, is when you walk in the door, what do you look like? What are you wearing? Because there's a beautiful scene in The Devil Wears Prada, which is my favourite movie. If you haven't watched it, it's a beautiful scene. Meryl Streep is talking to her assistant who's, you know, dressed for herself, and she's happy with the look, and God bless her, that's wonderful. But she says, look at you. You don't think that decisions about your clothing were made in this room. Clothing is so important. When you put your hand into your wardrobe and you pull out that miserable little skirt, that hideous sweater, and those awful shoes, what are you telling the world about you? What do you look like? Do you look like someone that I should trust in a meeting to reflect me, to represent me and my company? Do you look like someone I feel confident in? How do you move? How do you sit? How do you shake hands? Do you smile? People who smile more earn more. When you smile, you tell your brain to be happy. You might be terrified, but your brain will suddenly go, oh, we're smiling, we must be fine. And you feel better. So smile as much as you can. When you shake hands, do it with determination. When you walk into a room, it's terrifying. Speak, make a noise. Just go, hi, everyone. Lovely to see you all. You all look great. You know, I'm getting coffees. Would anyone like some? Actually, don't do that if you're female because, uh, yeah, you know, you don't want to be the one coming in and going, I'll get everyone coffee uh, and never get birthday cake and never serve it and never clear up ever because that's how people will see you. But do think about all those things. Think about why you're different. Why am I going to remember you? What do you look like? Can I remember you? Or are you going to be wearing the same uniform that everyone else wears? Because if you do, it's almost impossible for me to describe you. You know, it's Shelley, the girl who's wearing this beautiful yellow. But if I said, it's Shelley, she was wearing black. And you said, everyone was wearing black. It's very hard for me mm. to notice you. So what's your white coat? Why are you an expert? Why are you different? Why should I trust you? What's your one line? What's your sticky information? And when you can tell me all of that, you probably have an incredible, what I call Netflix ad, which is the description of you that's going to make me watch you as a TV show or swipe. I've got to watch you. I could listen to you talk for hours. Well, like, we've got I'm all day. Time would- I'm going to Bali tomorrow, but I'm free until <laughs> right, six o'clock tomorrow morning. Honestly. All right, we're going to take a break and come back in a sec. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we're back. Maz, I can sit and listen and I'm like, it's funny because... I can feel the producer in you in the way that you tell stories and share information. It's like this captivating thing where I'm like drawn in, like I'm just drawn in and I lose track of time. And I think that is such an art form in how you communicate. I want to dig into a couple of things in what you just shared then because it's so practical. But here's my challenge. And this is, I'm leveraging this for my own personal gain in terms of advice. Of course, it's your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do. I'm the boss. So we've got two things. You said be different, but the white coat, how do people trust you? To me, I feel like there's a big tension in that because we want people to feel safe, but often safety comes with a level of monotony or boredom. 
And then we want people to know that we're different, which comes with risk. How do we straddle the tension of that? Because I'm just thinking for those listening going, well, how do I build trust if I'm trying to have an edge? You start with your white coat. So make me feel very secure in you. Make me feel that I can trust you. And also think about the audience. So if I said to you, Shelley, uh, what does a lovely roast chicken meal feel like? to you. So think about, give me some words. It might be warm, family, Sunday, winter. So give me some words that make you think about a real, you know, a lovely roast chicken, crispy skin, moist, plump flesh. What does it say to you? It feels like home. It feels welcoming. It feels connected, intimate, I would think, family dinner. Yes, all of those. Now, it does feel all of those, unless you're a chicken. <laughs> if you're speaking to an audience of chickens, it's not. It's a horror story because they're all sitting there going, oh my God, that looks like Uncle Alan in that oven. Holy God, where is it? Has anyone seen Uncle Alan? You know, no, not for months. Oh, my God. So you've got to think about your audience. When you walk into that room, how do you make them feel safe? So I try in every room to know about the audience uh, and sometimes I know more about them than I think they know about them. Uh, and that's when I feel very, very secure. Like I'll go back and I'll say, who was at the previous conferences? Who went down well? You know, what's the vibe? Uh, I will always go early and, you know, check the room out and listen to the speakers beforehand. I'll look at all the social media. What's everyone saying? You know, it was funny. That was funny. That was funny. That was funny. And you think, great. This is an audience that values funny. So know your audience inside out. Make them feel safe. And when I say be different, you can do that very, very simply. You know, you really can. I think sticks is great for him because it is very, very clever because I think it's much easier to be a woman. We talk about everything, you know, or a person identifies as a woman. We, we just sit down and we chat about stuff, anything at all. We're going to go, my God, you know, so... Has your rash cleared up? You go, oh, my God, yes, but, oh, it was awful, you know, dreadful. Uh, you know, you slept with someone, so what was it like? Oh, it was shocking. You know, I was quite drunk. I just fell off him. It was awful. Uh, we're very happy to talk about stuff. There is so much pressure on men to be perfect and, you know, be the strong, silent type, but talk a lot. Uh, be vulnerable, but be strong. You know, how would you know how to be a man these days? It's so complicated. You know, oh, my, you know, we get mixed messages, but... I think it is harder. You know, I think it is much, much harder. So for that guy to say, I fix sticks, is funny. And it's disarming. If I was a guy, I'd probably want to go to him because I think, you're funny. You get it. It's awkward, isn't it? Going in and showing your bits to another man. Or showing that to anyone is embarrassing unless it's in, you know, a get down and dirty situation, in which case you can't wait to get them out. <laughs> but... It's really clever. It's very clever marketing. Now, if he was uh, a gynecologist and he said, I fix vag, you'd be like, oh, my God, you can't say that. That's what? No. So he knows his audience. So think about your audience. Think about what's great. Now, you guys are young and I do a lot of work with young people because I like them. Uh, and the thing they say to me most is, but I don't have any experience. Now, for me... That's wonderful because it means you don't have any tired, preconceived, boring old ideas that my generation own. You know, that's not how we do it. And you go, well, change, change then. So you have a whole window into a world I'm not part of. That is vital to me, vital for me to know what it's like to be young. I don't know because I'm not anymore. You don't know what it's like to be me. I don't know what it's like to be you. I've got a fair idea, but not really. So you have a level of expertise that is gone. I will never get that back. It's gone. You are innovative. You understand, you know, social media and the power of social media and marketing in the way that we don't. You understand social nuance in the way I don't. I understand my generation. You dance differently. I love that. But all of the things that you have, I don't have. And I want it and I need it. You have a new way of thinking. Now, if everyone in the room is like me, Shelley, I don't need them at all because I have my opinion. What I need in the room is people who are not like me. So when you walk into a room, 
Uh, so this is what I try and do, or I used to try and do when I interviewed uh, very famous people. I've interviewed everybody from, you know, people like King Charles, Trump, to Snoop Dogg, to, you know, Buzz Aldrin, been on my shows, just very, very varied, very, very varied. And with each one of them, you've got to think why, like, why are they on, A, uh, what is different about them? What can they tell me? I want them to like me because I want them to open up. So the first thing I'll do is that I will flatter them enormously. But I mean it because I think if you have reached that level, then you're amazing. And this was before Trump was president. Uh, so I could, you know, feel good about him <laughs> in the old days. Uh, but, you know, you think you're brilliant if you're, you know, if you're at that level. So I tend to just go into the room and I say, you know, your last album, the first album, it was very brave what you did with so-and-so. Uh, you know, that TV show was incredible. I loved that you did this. That was groundbreaking. I just want to say that to you, you know, up front. Uh, and then I would ask uh, some simple questions and then I would get into the really meaty stuff. So I would think about them and think, you want to promote whatever it is you're promoting. So I'd say, I've watched your latest TV show. It's brilliant. Why'd you take it? Who got the job first? So I'll always ask them a question that's more interesting rather than tell me about it. What was it like working with you know, Justin Bieber? I would say, did you meet Justin Bieber on the set or did you go out for a drink beforehand? When you do love scenes, do you talk about it beforehand and say, how are we going to cope with this? Because this is embarrassing. Do you make it funny? What do you do? You know, how do you even get a script? How do you know how much money to ask for? Do you speak to your co-host and say, how much are you asking for? Because they're the questions actually that are interesting. No one ever asks. So have some questions in your back pocket that are really interesting questions. Uh, when you're being interviewed, if they ask you a question that's really difficult uh, that you don't want to answer, give them an answer that's really interesting, but not the answer they were expecting. So when you, I do media training with people, I say, write down 10 terrible things they'll ask you and write down 10 terrible things that are brilliant about you, your podcast, your show, your venture capital, your pitch, whatever it is. If they ask you question two, give them the answer to question four. So people would say to me, Big Brother is just about stupid young people getting drunk and having sex. And I would say the thing that's amazing about Big Brother is the revenue it generates allows programs that would never, ever be given a break to be made for minority groups, for genres, for ages, for races, for genders that would never get a look in. And it generates new talent. It keeps the blood moving around the industry. Without that, the same people are getting the same jobs and the same gigs and the same shows. You need to have these rating juggernauts that bring in so much money you can make more diverse content because that is what we need now they've forgotten what they've asked me because i've given them an interesting answer the one i would like them to know so i would say try that one have 10 great things about you in your back pocket and if they ask you something terrible whip one out that is so awesome i i've never thought about with interviews the idea of when someone asks you a difficult question you could just use a totally different answer that's engaging that makes them forget really the original question and one of the questions I'd love to know your thoughts on this one of the questions people often get asked in an interview that they don't like to answer because they don't want to show their cards is what are your salary expectations so what do you expect to be paid how would you respond to that sort of question if you'd like if you're if you're thinking well I don't want to lowball this because I want to be paid well how would you kind of use that strategy for a question like that? Uh, in that situation, I would say to them, uh, what's your ballpark? You know, where, where do you see this role sitting? Uh, I, would ha I would do research before you walk into the room. So you want to walk into the room wildly prepared. So I would call someone in the company who was a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend and say, I need to have an off the record uh, confidential talk with you. What do you think the salary range is for this? Now, I would then walk in and I would pitch a little bit higher, but not ridiculous. Uh, well, not a little bit higher, but I would accept a little bit higher. I would pitch a little bit higher than that so they can knock me back because everyone has to knock you back. So they need to feel like it's a very good deal. But to go back to positioning, how do you position yourself? How do you make them feel very safe? Because they want to, you want them to want to give you the job. How do you get that to happen? So if you think about... Everything you do, Shelley, in life is a job. What is the job of what you're wearing 
when you walk into the interview. What is the job of your body language? What is the job of your introduction? What is the job of the handshake and the smile and the information you give them? It has one job and that is give me the job. When you think about it and you break it down like that, you break it down into small jobs, you get them all to work to your benefit. So what's the job of the first 30 seconds of the first show of any series I make? What is the job of the first 30 seconds? To engage? Yeah, to make me watch the next 30 seconds. What's the job of the next 30 seconds? Make me watch the next 30 seconds. What's the job of part one? Make me watch part two. What's the job of show one? Make me watch show two. Everything has a job. And everything, when you break it down, every interview we do has a job, which is be more interesting than every other show. Make sure they keep watching. Make us the number one show. And then you think, how do I do that? What's the job of an interview? I want the job. So every single thing you do has a job and it's to get you that job. And you've got to go in, you've got to make them like you. I do this when I go for meetings. It's a very good one, young people. Cost you 20 bucks, it's money very well spent. Uh, go in, bring cake. So when I go to pitch, when I used to back in the oldie days, when I go, I do very little meetings, very few meetings now because my uh, bookings are word of mouth. I don't advertise, don't market. You find me. You're never going to Google XCV producer who now helps give people the X factor. It's never going to happen. So I'm 100% word of mouth. I buy cake. I do some research so I know who's gluten-free, who likes chocolate. I buy a separate cake for whoever has booked me. So when I come into the office, I get Shelley, here's yours because I know you like this one. Don't want it to go into the pool of cake because it might disappear. That one, specifically for you, I know you like it. Then I always bring too much cake. Why? Because I'm a producer and I'm very strategic and I think about everything. What is the job of me being in that network? It is, you know, or being at that meeting. It is for everyone in the building to know and like me and for them to give me the job. So I will give them all the cake. They will chop it up. We will eat a fraction of it. Where does the cake go? Goes into the kitchen. People come into the kitchen. They go, there's cake. Who brought cake? You go, Maz was in. They go, I like Maz. She always brings cake. Brilliant. Why was she here? Oh, you know, we were talking to her about a conference. Oh, yeah, I've heard Maz speak. She's good. Yeah, that's great. My actual, you know, my company name is Maz Speaks. Very simple, much simpler to spell than Marion Farrelly, which is almost impossible. I don't think what my parents were thinking. They obviously didn't like me. <laughs> ugly child. Let's make our life really tough. Uh, and of course, and then those people would pick up the cake. What do they do? They go back to their desks. And someone will go, you've got cake. How come you got cake? Cake in the kitchen. Is it someone's birthday? No, Maz was in. Why was Maz in? Oh, we're thinking about booking her for a conference, booking her for some training. Oh, yeah, I've heard about Maz. Yeah. Got great LinkedIn reviews. Yeah, I like her. And suddenly, for the price of 20 bucks of cake, I've gone viral within their company. There are people talking about me when I'm not in the room, which is what viral is, isn't it? You know, if someone is talking about you or your product or your service when you're not in the room, that's what viral is. So for the price of 20 bucks, be strategic, bring cake. It works. I love that so much. I, I think about that as like the power of moments, like creating a memorable moment for someone. And and I think about kind of you, Maz, like how you want each experience that someone has of you to be this generous thing as well. Like it's like a gift to them. It's this moment that they walk away and they're like, gee, like I really like Maz. Like she thinks about other people more than she's thinking about herself. Like, and I think that dynamic is, it's intentional, but someone who's experiencing you doesn't feel that it's kind of this, this process to get them to like you. It's just this generous thing. And they're like, walk away from that and go, gee, yeah, I really like Maz. Yeah. I want them to like me and book me. And then I want everyone to leave the room saying, you know, I laughed my head off. And so my favorite reviews are, I laughed my head off. I made 30 pages of notes. And I actioned them. When people write to me and they say, I went straight onto my LinkedIn, I realised I was really boring and I changed it. Yeah, brilliant. And when people write to me and they say, my business has completely changed. I've changed the way I think about everything. I changed the way I think about everything now. And that literally makes me want to cry. I think, brilliant. Because if you are spending time in my company, I want you to leave feeling better and more confident and more inspired. Otherwise, what's the point of me being there? And lots of my friends say, why don't you go and do stand-up? You know, you're moderately funny on a good day. 
And I said, what's the point? You know, if I can be funny in a room and help people be a better version of them and earn more and be more confident and have a bit of swagger about themselves and feel like it's all going to be fine, that is much more important to me than people having a laugh. If they can laugh and learn, that's a joy to me. Because you only learn, you only pay attention. Attention is not a given. You know, to stand on the stage is a privilege. To have, you know, 700 or 1,000 faces looking at you is an absolute privilege because those people who booked me have had a choice to book anyone. And they've chosen me. So it is wildly important to me that they feel their money has been very well spent. I'm not cheap. I know I look cheap. <laughs> I actually look very expensive. Uh, but you know, I'm not cheap. I cost a lot of money. But the change you will see within your company will happen the moment I leave the room. In fact, it'll happen the moment I'm in the room. Uh, and you know, that's valuable. But it's something I have worked on wildly. You know, I work mm-hmm. and I work and I work and I work and I think, is this good enough? Is it good enough? Is it good enough? And it's, you know, my non-negotiable. You have to leave the room feeling happier, more confident, ready to take on the world, knowing that you can make changes right now that will affect your business. It has to be wildly practical. If I'm talking to you, you have to get something out of it instantly. Otherwise, I'll stop talking. Yeah, and I love what you're saying about how do you make people laugh and learn and then they take action. And I'm just thinking around this idea that you mentioned, Maz, of confidence. So confidence is something that when people have interacted with you, they walk away and they feel this sense of I can take action and become more confident. One of the challenges I find with confidence is there seems to be a gravitational pull towards mediocrity and like towards staying safe or playing it safe. And I had this thing happen this week, actually. I posted this thing on LinkedIn and on Insta that was like about how company values suck. Like company values, like integrity and all that stuff. They oh, just it's suck. White noise. It's so boring. It doesn't mean anything. It's white noise. White noise. It doesn't mean anything. And I, I, I wrote, cue the corporate snooze fest and, and something, something, something. Anyway, this guy, <laughs> this guy comments on my post and was like, I stopped reading at Cue the Corporate Snooze Fest, try to be more professional in future. And I, I read that and I pissed myself because I'm like, this is awesome. Like you're the exact person who is boring, who loves these kinds of values. But also I was thinking there's a pull towards boring. There's, a, there's this gravitational pull towards professionalism as in like be boring, be bland don't be brave and don't be courageous. What would you say to people that feel that, that feel this kind of draw to like live in that small space rather than getting into that big zone that they're meant to be in? Well, you have to decide whether you want to be in the big zone. You know, every TV show I joined, uh, I thought, I want to run this. I want to be the boss. Uh, And other people joined and they thought, I want to make a buck, have loads of affairs, take loads of drugs and have a great time. And both of us are right, because I want what I want, they want what they want, you go after it. Uh, If you are really, really driven, uh, you do have to try harder. That's how you work. That's how it works, you try harder. Every single thing you do has a job. People say uh, it's unprofessional, and I say to them, don't get that muddled up with it's interesting, because I think what you actually are saying to me is it's interesting, but you're saying, it's, you know, is that unprofessional? Is it, it's unprofessional to, you know, tell people about your life or tell stories about your life. And you say, no, what's unprofessional is this show is number seven and not number one. But this show is number one. That's really professional. I am wildly professional. You will never, ever see me put a foot wrong at work. Or if I do, it's, you know, I've chosen this path rather than that. But I'm not lazy. You know, and I'll say to people, they say, will the show be number one? And I would say, no one will have thought harder, worked harder. That's all I can give you. I don't know if it'll be number one. I think it will. Uh, but maybe not all the decisions I've made will be the right ones. Maybe I've read to the audience wrong. I don't think I have. But all I can say to you is I've considered every single thing and I've worked as hard as I possibly can. It is easy to keep kicking the can down the street and do nothing. And lots of advertising does that. And you can't remember it. If I asked you for four ads that are really interesting at the moment, what would you say? 
Oh. Exactly. Now I you shouldn't. I didn't even. Oh. <laughs> you should be able to name them instantly. Really, if I said to you, uh, tell me four slogans from politicians that you find really interesting. It can be from any politician, from all time, from any country on earth. Give me four. Give me two. Give me two. I couldn't. Do you know what? I couldn't even give you two. I could only give you uh, Donald Trump. Make America great again. Genius messaging. Trump has his one line. Mm. You can remember, if I said to you, what is Rick Astley not going to do? You can tell me. Now, you weren't even born, you know, never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down. Never going to run around and desert you. Everyone can remember the chorus, but they can't remember what Albanese said or ScoMo or Gillard or anyone. But they can remember Rick Astley. What is your one message? What do you stand for? What's your one line? Trump is a genius. I don't like him and he worries me. But he is a genius. He is so carefully thought through. So carefully thought through. And when you look at his branding, it's incredible. His branding is incredible. He could have, I'm guessing, a tailor come to his house and make his suits fit. But he chooses not to. Chooses not to because he doesn't want to look like the man who poops in the gold toilet. He wants to look like the man who owns the factory downtown, but doesn't own, you know, Coca-Cola. It's very specific branding, really smart. You know, there are barbers in, you know, Caralago, whatever blooming place he owns, I'm guessing. He could have a decent haircut. He could, but he chooses not to because he just wants to look like that bloke. Boris Johnson could. I mean, he looks like he slept in his clothes and hasn't brushed his hair since 1974. <laughs> but it's his brand. He doesn't want to look, you know, like that politician. He wants to look like a man of the people. You go, you went to Eton. You are so wildly privileged. You know, you don't even know what real people are like. You've never met any. And yet you're trying to look like a man of the people. And it works. It's brilliant branding. So think about you. Think about, you can't be too different. You've got to constantly think about your audience. And that's why when I walk into various rooms, I adapt myself. So I am, you know, if I'm in a room of small businesses, I will talk about Big Brother and the X Factor and, you know, in terms of employment. And I will say, the thing that makes me so proud about Q&A is it's still going, which means that there are maybe 150 people that have had work for 10 years they can pay the mortgage, put the kids through school, go on holiday, feed themselves. Now, if I'd come up with a show that didn't work, that wouldn't happen. It would have done one season and all those people would have to go and look for another job. They have job security and that really matters to me. If I make Big Brother work, that's a thousand, maybe two thousand people that have work. And I, that is absolutely, I think, got to be number one because if it's number one, all these people have a job next year. If I can make it number one the next year, all of those people have a job the next year. They don't have to worry. You know, the show's commissioned. I write to them and they say, will you come back? And they say, yes. You go, brilliant. Then you've got nine months of money next year. That makes me very, very, very proud. It makes me really happy that I can do that. Think about your audience. Think about how your information is relevant to them and makes them feel safe. So they're not interested in 8 billion views. That's not their jam. But they are interested in the employment the noise around it, you know, how to create a brand because essentially that's what we do with every TV show. Because when you're given Big Brother, you're given bricks. That's all you're given, bricks and cameras. And you have to create this entire event around those bricks and cameras. So think about yourself, yeah, like a TV show. It has to be appropriate to the audience. Big Brother is not the same audience as Q&A. Shouldn't be. And, you know, older people who say to me, I hate Big Brother, I always say to them, brilliant, you shouldn't like it. It's not for you. You, know, you don't eat baby food, do you? You did at one point in your life, but it's not for you now. You can, you know, you've got teeth, you can chew stuff. It has to be appropriate to your audience. So think about your audience. Think about how you can make them want to give you that gig because that's your job. It's not their job to give you the job. It's your job to make them want to give you the job. And when you change the way you think about everything and you think it's not their job to be interested in me, it's my job to be interesting. What are they looking for? What are they looking for? How do you deliver what they're looking for? And I do a lot of um, work with friends when they're going for jobs and um, they uh, give me, you know, the cover letter and the CV. And often they haven't repeated what was in the ad. 
I say to them, the first thing you do is repeat what's in the ad. You know, if you go on a date with someone and they say, every time someone talks about going to Rome, I literally feel my underwear fall off. You're going to walk in and say, I've been to Rome. You know, unless you're mad, you're going to mention Rome, aren't you? But we don't do it, you know, in interviews. We don't repeat their language back to them and make them feel very safe. You know, you said in the ad that you wanted someone who does this, this, this. I do all of that. Let me tell you about the... I did that job and we took it from there to there in six months. And I was surrounded by incredible people. But, you know, I led that team and I'm so proud of it. And my team at the end said, you know, it's been a joy to work with you. We love working with you. You know, you're really good fun. You get the job done. And um, I'm really proud of that. So think about your audience. Think about your audience all the time because that's all that matters. Yeah, that's so massive. At the beginning, before we started recording this episode, Maz, we talked, you and I just offline of how we need to think about the audience and that we're there to serve them. We're not, if we get out of our own heads and we get out of thinking, because often we just go into, it's all about me, it's all about me. But if we actually flip the, flip the script and flip the focus to who are the people in this room, what do I want to make them feel, what do they want, then we actually become interesting to them because we know what they want and we know, we know how we need to show up for them. Absolutely. It is never about you. It is always about them. They are all that matters. You think about your clients, your customers, the people you're walking into the room with, you know, this podcast. It is all about the people who are listening. It's not about what I want to say. It's about the value I can add for your listeners. So they leave here feeling better and maybe, you know, they will go for that job or that promotion or, you know, whatever it is, or they'll have some stuff in the back pocket. They think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go through my LinkedIn. I'm going to take out all the white noise. I'm going to put in loads of sticky information. I'm going to make people feel very confident giving me the job. I'm going to have some great stories in my back pocket. I'm going to dress differently. I'm going to have a brand. You know, I wear sequins and colour when I'm on stage. Lots of people walk on stage wearing black. And I think every background on the stage is black. Why would you wear black? Like, why would you do it? You know, it's like a bride turning up for a wedding in lycra you kind of go look people have come to your wedding make an effort <laughs> but it's true you kind of go, you know you'd never do that so if people you know if you're if someone is giving you their time you can't have more time you've only got a certain amount it's so precious make it matter for them if you have a meeting how many times has someone said you know it's a boring meeting i used to make sure that my meetings were short and funny and productive so I would say to my teams, so we're going to speak twice a day. You're not going to email me because I am in this office. There's no point in emailing me. You can just shout across the room at me. We will meet for 10 minutes every morning, every evening. And I will ask you what's working, what's not working, what we need to change. And then we'll do it in the room. Don't email each other. Do your jobs. I'm not employing you to email. I'm employing you to produce a really incredible show. And on, uh, I did a show that was behind the scenes of uh, Dancing with the Stars called It Takes Two. And uh, it was on, I think it was on air for November and December. It was 60 shows anyway in the stream. So I wasn't going to answer anyone's emails. I put an out of assistant on and I said, I will not read this email until Christmas Eve. If you're okay with that, brilliant. If you need me right now for something, call me. Got four calls over the season. Four calls. And they were, you know, about big stuff that was happening. But we're all in the same building, just... You know, I'm here, walk in the door and ask me a question. And also have really quick meetings. We had stand up meetings. People would say, I'm just going to go and get coffee. They go, no, we're having a meeting now. Don't bring coffee, stand up because I want you all uncomfortable because I want you to leave this meeting quickly. And I go around the room and say, what's working, what's not working? You're not getting the travel, brilliant. Now you're booking the travel. How, okay, let's, can we order a whiteboard now and we'll put travel booked when we've booked it. Yeah, okay, brilliant. Now who's going to buy the whiteboard? Brilliant. Can you get it here by two o'clock? Who's going to put it up? Okay, can you book someone to come and pick it up? But at three o'clock, that board needs to be up there with person booked, travel details given, details received, flights booked, confirmation of flights booked, brief written, confirmed. So everyone knows the status of every guest. Now, that would take 7,000 emails. Don't do it. (laughs) Get everyone in a room, ask them questions. You've got a voice. You know, call people. I know it's an incredible thing to say to your generation. Ring people because you'll get an answer instantly because people are shocked and my phone's ringing. You think, yeah, it's a phone. It's what it does. 
that's his primary job in the old days, is it used to ring and you answered it and spoke to people. <laughs> uh, try it. It works. But do speak to people. Get them all in the room. Sort it out. Do it quickly. Totally. I love it. I love the old school use of the phone to actually call, to actually call someone. Hey, Maz, I've probably got time for one more question. Geez, so much good stuff in this. Like I'm just thinking about all the actions to take away, like clarify, go jump on your LinkedIn. I think people need to jump on and check Maz's LinkedIn. So we'll no, have that it's in the terrible. It's really oh, is it terrible? Oh, it's terrible. I um, So I... For all my assets, they're absolutely dreadful. I don't even have a showreel. I don't speak a showreel. I'm the only speaker I know who doesn't have a showreel. And given that my life has been making content, everyone says to me, <laughs> how is it possible you don't have a showreel? And I go, eh, well, I've never gotten around to it. So, yeah, my own stuff is dreadful. It's really bad. Uh, but I'm about to work on it in the next month. So go on in a month. It'll be average. In a month. <laughs> <laughs> I, I highly doubt that. So... What I want people to do is to go away, take the white noise out of their LinkedIn content, out of their resume, whatever you're putting together at the moment for that next job. I want you to focus on that. But Maz, what would one final piece of advice be to any of our listeners of what action they need to take after this episode? Uh, I would say take five minutes and write down your moral code, which is... A strange thing to say to you because, you know, no one ever really says it. But write down what you stand for and who you are and what you will and won't do. Because I've worked in the media for a very long time, or I worked in the media for a very long time. And people would ask me to do stuff. You know, we want to show this person a great light because, you know, they're on our network. And I said, well, I won't do that. Uh, because, uh, you know, I wrote down at the very beginning of my career that it would be absolutely fair to everyone. And... You know, contestants would say to me, oh, I felt like you showed me in a bad light. And I say, well, you were drunk. I showed you drunk. Because if I didn't, that would be dishonest. And by the way, it's fine to be drunk. It's fine. You know, people do get drunk. People say stuff when they're drunk. You know, I don't like people drinking on TV. I don't think it's great. I think people say stuff they don't mean. And then they're really embarrassed. So, you know, it's not my thing. But I think write down your moral code uh, and write it down for life and know who you are. And... When you know who you are, it gives you a great confidence because you know what you will and won't do and you know what your values are. And all you have when you walk in that door are your values. And every single thing you need to succeed is inside your body right now. You got it. And you have it. Unless you need some skills, like if you're going to fly a plane, I suggest you learn how to fly it. (laughs) Uh, But you certainly, you know, if you're a heart surgeon or you're doing Botox, you know, do know where everything works. Uh, but yeah, when you know your moral code, it gives you a great confidence and you are the best version of you. And if you're at work, you're there for a reason. And that is that you're brilliant. You know, no one's given you a job because there's no one else available. That doesn't work. You know, so know who you are. Mm. You know, my moral code, I don't gossip. I don't repeat gossip. Uh, people used to call me the vault. You know, I'm very, very fair. People who are struggling rather than, you know, bag them, I would say, then I've obviously given you the wrong job or I haven't given you the tools because, you know, I know you're not lazy. So bad on me and not on you. So, Mm. yeah, I think um, know who you are, write down your moral code and stick to it. Follow your dreams, but follow me first. I am Maz Speaks on LinkedIn. My own profile is very bad, but I do post some nice stuff. Well, nice in my opinion, which is, of course, my opinion. Uh, But yeah, come and visit me. And uh, if you have questions, ask me. I'm quite nice. I'll answer. Uh, Maz Farrelly, thank you so much for being on the show. I have just loved every minute of this conversation and really so thankful and grateful for your time. And I'm so excited to watch you soar and flourish because you're very, very smart and very engaging and you're obviously very kind and that's all you need really when you understand people and you think about people and you think about them first and you're kind kindness is a wildly underrated superpower uh you can do anything you can take over the world so i am very much looking forward to watching you do that 
Oh, thank you so much. Well, that's it from us. As always, if you enjoy the show, share it with a friend. I want you to share this episode far and wide so other people can laugh and learn and take some action and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen. Thanks for hanging out. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.